Let's turn to our scripture reading again. And uh, I want to start with verse 9. And here, as John was writing, he said he saw, verse 9, I saw a third angel following them. Now, what would you think of if you think of a third? What, is, what does that bring in your mind? Help? <laughs> does it mean there might be two more? Let's go to verse 8. It says, Another angel followed, saying, What do you think of when you see the word another? Would you say there's another? Let's go back to verse 6. He said, In their mouth, I'm sorry, you have six, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven with the everlasting gospel. So here we have two another's. We're going to look at another one if, uh, if we can. No, we're not going to do it. Hmm. All right. Let's go to chapter 10 and verse 1 of the book of Revelation. It says, I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. So here we have a third angel, we have another one, and another one, and another one. Now, let's, we can, we can go all the way through here from chapter 14, four, uh, 10, and chapter 8. Let's go back to 8, and we're going to find an angel flying in the midst of heaven. Chapter 8 and verse 13. He said, I looked and I beheld an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels that are about to sound. Now, these are not the angels of chapter 14. They're called trumpet angels. And uh, they're bringing woe upon the earth. But also the word woe has to do with an internal sadness on the part of God. And we know that while judgments are coming upon earth, God himself is grieved at heart for what's going on. And... uh, in, in fact, I want to go to uh, Ezekiel 28. We'll come back here. We're going to spend our time in the book of Revelation. But in Ezekiel chapter 28, we have a picture of Lucifer, the great angel who stood next to the, the throne of God. He probably knew the love of God better than any other uh, <clears throat> any other angel. And just to refresh our minds, we start with about, well, I'm going to start with verse 11. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, 
take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, in the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emerald with the gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you in the day that you were created. And then the next verse says that he was the, the anointed cherub, one who stood in the presence of God, closer to God than any other angel. He probably went on missionary tri uh, trips around the universe sharing the love of God. Because he was so close to God, he could, uh, he could share that with them. But I want to come back to verse 11. Here it says the, the king of Tyrus, but this is talking about Lucifer. But there's one word I want to pick up here. Take up a lamentation. What is a lamentation? It's a, like a funeral dirge. God wept over Lucifer when he turned away from him. And I believe that God turns away from, uh, weeps over everyone who turns away from him on earth. God understands what we go through. Now, judgments are coming. In fact, we're, we'll probably be in the midst of them in a short time. The, the, the question I have is, do you know Jesus Christ? Are you acquainted with Him? Are you on a one-to-one -one basis with Him? You take time daily to get acquainted with Him. If not, you will lose out in time. God asks us to spend some time with Him. I think I've shared this here before, that there are three things that God asks of us. Number one, to study the Bible. Number two, pray, and that can go before study. And then the third is to share what we've learned from the other two activities. It's that simple. But we need to know God. And I want to go, I want to, go to uh, uh, Romans uh, chapter 10. And uh, notice here the kind, of, the kind of faith that God is looking for. Chapter 10 and beginning with verse 9. He says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him up from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. This is a heart work. Now, there should be an intellect. We should have, understand intellectually. But what's more important is that we have a heart relationship with Jesus. Uh, I'm going to talk to your husband just a bit. Uh, when was the last time you told your wife you loved her? <laughs> Wives, when was the last time you told your husband, I love you? I was at a pastor friend's home on a Saturday night. He had his elders with him, and, or in, in his home. And he asked the question. He said, when was the last time you told your wife, I love you? One man said, I told her that when we were married, so she knows it. <laughs> what do you think of that? Think that's good? We need to hear it every day, throughout the day. Um, it's one of the, 
one of the words that God has given to us. Not only the speaking, but it should come from the heart. And so it is with Christ. We need to speak about Him, but it needs to come from the heart. If we're not converted, it doesn't, well, I shouldn't say it does, do, doesn't do any good to share it. I think it does. I, what came to mind just now, when I was going to say something else. Uh, you heard of the 12, 12 step program to help people out of alcohol, over alcohol? Uh, this was started by two drunks. Both of them were in the hospital, in an alcoholic hospital, and the older man was on his last legs of life. And he knew this younger man was in there trying to recover. So he went to that room and he said, I want you to take a look at me. He said, I don't have much time left because of alcohol. I've been drinking alcohol for a long time and I'm a dead man. And he said, look at me because unless you, he said, you're going to go through the same thing if you continue this way. You know, they started talking with one another through the days and both of them decided to work together to stop drinking and they started the 12-step program to help people uh, off alcohol. We may not agree with everything they do or say, but at least they've been a tremendous blessing to some people. But it was by two drunks who were on their last legs and there was a bonding between them, the two of them, and they started bonding with other people. The same way with you and I. As we bond with Christ, we can share with Him the things, the great things He's done for us. And that's the testimony He, want, he wants uh, from us. I want to go back to chapter 8 of, uh, of uh, Romans. And this chapter begins with no separation. I mean, I'm sorry, it begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation. Look at verse 1. There is therefore now condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No condemnation. If we drop down, let's go back down to about verse 31, and we'll read the rest of it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who is it that charges? Who's the one that, that hammers us? The devil himself. He is the one that's always, always bringing something against us. But Christ does not even listen to it. He said, I have taken that person's place. You know, Calvary it should be so close to our thinking that when we look at Calvary, we can say, that was me that died at Calvary in the person of Jesus Christ because he's our representative. And so here we have uh, the devil brings charges against us, but it is God who justifies. <laughs> you know, when God looks at us, if we've accepted Christ, he looks at us as if we had never sinned. Can you grasp that? <laughs> it's unbelievable for us. But God truly looks at it th this way. And this goes on, and talking about Christ, 34. He, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God, the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, 
or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or a sword, as it is written, for your sake we've been killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a passage. No condemnation at the beginning, no separation at the end. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. When we stumble and fall, he doesn't come and kick us. You come and lift us up, let's get going. Um, All of us were babies at one time, Uh, learning to walk and talk, stumbling many times. And hopefully our parents didn't say, get up and maybe chew you out. (laughs) But they'll come and pick us up, maybe take us by the hand and get us going, walking again. God is the same way with us. We're all children in his eyes. And if we make a mistake, he will come to us, lift us up and and, uh, get us going forward again. But no condemnation and no separation. I want to go back to chapter 6. And uh, consider a few things here, in uh, beginning with verse 6. When we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So there's two areas of our lives that says we're without strength and we're ungodly. Verse 7, scarcely for a righteous man would one dare to die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So here we are, without strength, ungodly, still sinners. Then verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies... When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Tremendous passage. There's another related to that in 2 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, beginning with verse 14. You know, it must be this is the one, this is the sermon that God wanted me to preach today. <laughs> because it's not the same one I prepared for. <laughs> chapter, chapter 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ constrains us. Now this does not mean holds back. It means to push us forward, motivates us. Because we judge this that if one died for all, then how many died? All. Jesus Christ represents the entire human race. John John 3.16, there's two aspects of that verse. One is corporate, the other is individual. God so loved the world. Is that corporate or individual? Corporate. He loved a world of sinners. That whoever believes in him, whoever, is that corporate or individual? So we got both here. God died, God 
God, Christ took our place. He died for us. He rose for us. He went to heaven in our behalf. And as we come to him, God looks at us through the filter of Jesus Christ. That's all he sees. <laughs> that good news or bad? Good. So here we have this one, um, that we were there at Calvary. Then in verse 16, or 15 rather, and then he died for all that those who live, and who is that? Just the believer? Is that the entire race? The whole race. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Everyone owes everything they have to Jesus Christ. There's nothing we have, nothing we do that does not come through the outstretched palms of Jesus Christ. Now, if we drop down to verse 19, or actually starting with 18, <clears throat> now all things are of, are of God who has reconciled us to him, to himself through Jesus Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in the Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So here we have the message, we have the motivation. God constrains us through the love of Christ for us, in verse 14. We owe everything to him. And then he said he was in Christ, reconciling the world to, to himself. And now he gives us, tells us what we're about. If we're ambassadors, you know, an ambassador for any nation is in another country to stick up for his nation. He should not compromise, but he should share with them the good news of where he, where he came from. The same with us. We can go to someone with a motivation. God so loved the world that he constrains us because of what Christ has done in our behalf. We can go to someone as an ambassador and say, this is what God has done for you. He has reconciled himself to you. And the only question we have to ask is, will you be reconciled to him? That's the message that God has given in this passage. And then in verse, seven, uh, verse uh, the last verse, verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might come become the righteousness of God in him. Christ became sin itself that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What an exchange. He took our sins and he gives himself to us. The righteousness of God is embodied in a person, Jesus Christ, not something separate. As soon as we accept Christ, we have all of the righteousness of God, not only in heaven, but he comes to dwell within us. It's Christ who is our righteousness. In fact, let's go back to, let's go back to Habakkuk chapter 2. When the, uh, this is, we don't know for sure uh, how, this, how long this was before the uh, Babylonian captivity. But in chapter 2, verse 4, uh, well, maybe a little bit on chapter 1. Habakkuk was a little uptight because God 
was sending the Babylonians to bring a judgment on his people. And he talked to God. He said, God, uh, these people are worse than we are. But God kept talking with him. And in verse 4, he says, the just shall live by faith. And the, the, his people were not doing this. But God was pulling out all steps. And we think it was maybe, say, 30 years, maybe 20 years. Let's go to, back to Jeremiah and notice the message that God had given to his people about 10 years before the captivity. And you'll find that in chapter 23 and verse 6. It says, In his days shall Judah be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. God was pulling all stops out, trying to get his people to turn to him and accept the righteousness of Christ. But notice it says this is the name, that his name, that he is the Lord our righteousness. Now let's go back, let's go over to chapter 33 and notice a change in some words. And uh, 33 in about verse 16. It says, In those days Judah shall be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she shall be called. Who's she? That's his bride. That's you and me. And he says, this is the name whereby she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. This is about the same year, either one year or probably the same year they went into captivity. God was pulling out all stops to save his people from going into captivity. But they turned it all down and they went into captivity. Spent 70 years and then they came out. God told them what would, what would uh, go, uh, what would happen. And, uh, and he did so. Now, let's go, to, let's go to Romans chapter 1, again, chapter 1 of Romans. And uh, Paul builds on this, on this theme. He's quoting Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. He starts with 16 and 17. He says, For in him I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is a direct quote, quotation from uh, Habakkuk 2.4. Now, let's go to the book of Galatians. There's three times this is quoted in the New Testament. And in Galatians chapter 3, and I believe it's verse 8, um, we have it quoted again. And um, all that verse, that's, that's uh, no, I missed that one. That's a good one. I'll read it anyhow. Verse 8. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. And again, the message of salvation. Uh, let me see if I've got. Is that, oh, thank you, thank you. Is it 11? All right. That no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. Why? For the just shall live by faith. So he's quoting 
Habakkuk again. Now let's go to the book of Hebrews, where it's, where it's uh, mentioned again. And what we have here in the New Testament, you have that message of justification by faith going to Europe. Paul was the first missionary into Europe, and Rome, of course, was in Europe. And um, he preached in other cities also. But in Galatia, which would be Asia Minor, uh, the same message was, was presented, the just shall live by faith. Now, if we go to Hebrews chapter 10, I mean, chapter, yeah, chapter 10, and this, is a, this was a good Adventist um, passage in the days after the disappointment of 1844. He says in verse 35, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which is great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Again, this is from Habakkuk 2. He says, if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This passage here is probably more complete than the other two that we've looked at. Then he says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And this is a passage years ago I read James White after the disappointment where people were naturally disappointed because Christ did not come. They, they, the, the timing was correct, but the event was wrong. And uh, so I read where James White would come in the back of a home or a building, uh, usually didn't meet in churches in those days, or an auditorium, and people would be down and he'd start at the back and he'd start keeping time with his Bible, singing a song. And by the time he got to the pulpit, almost everybody was singing, <laughs> but it lifted their spirits. It's a tremendous one, a tremendous passage for us even to this day. Now, we know that uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews is the, uh, it's called the faith chapter. But um, it, faith and liberty of conscience are in this chapter. If we drop down toward the end of the, the passage in chapter 11, notice what he says, beginning um, probably with 32 start. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted or slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, 
being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And I believe this is speaking specifically of the Waldensian Christians in Europe as they were on the run from the armies, both of church and state. And you and I are going to face this again one, one day. In verse 29, or 39, it says, And all these have obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. You know, the message of salvation by faith in Christ alone is a message that God has given to you and to me. He's given to this church. And it will be given to the world. Uh, Revelation 18.1 says that the glory of the angel will, will encompass the entire earth. And that's the character of Jesus Christ, character of God. And then there's a call in verse, verse 4. It says, Come out over my people that you receive not of her plagues. And Babylon, when it first, it mean, Bab means gate. And it, it has to do with, the, at one time it was called the gate of heaven. But because of the, the uh, confusion that took place at Babel, as they were building the tower, Jewish people began to call it confusion. And we get into the book of Revelation, when we read about Babylon, it is spiritual confusion. And we were seeing that today. And we're going to see more of it. And it's so much more that we must know Jesus. We don't know what the future holds, but we know, there's a song that says, but we know who holds the future. We may not have all the details. I've seen chart after chart after chart. In fact, I've made a few of myself. And, uh, but we don't know how these things are going to turn out. But if we know Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how they turn out because he will give us wisdom. He will give us understanding and he'll give a heart of appreciation for what he's done for us. And we'll be, go, be able to go through any, any time, any time of trouble that, that the enemy may uh, throw against us. God is for us. He's not against us. God is for you on an individual basis. He's not against you. If you were the only one left on earth, would Christ have come and gone through the agony that he went through for you? Absolutely. Only one. There's a corporate aspect and there's an individual aspect. Individually, Christ thinks of you and me as though there was another, another person on the face of the earth. He's focused on us on an individual basis. And he said, if you only believe Believe my promises. I'll be there. You'll be there anyhow, but it's our unbelief that can't, can't see through the, the fog. But even this fog, God has promised to clear it from our minds. Um, I, have, um, I was not raised as a Seventh-day Adventist, but I'm so grateful for the message that God has given to us. Revelation 14, and I was going to, what I was going to do today, I'll share with you, maybe another time we can do it. But chapter 14, 6 through 12, is the message just before the coming of Jesus Christ. The everlasting gospel, 
the time of God's judgment and a call to worship him as the creator in verses 6 and 7. Then in the third angel's message, beginning, we already read it in verse uh, 9, says another angel followed him and then he spreads out before us what's going to take place, the beast and the mark of the beast and all that. But the last verse in the chapters, or not in the chapter, in the message, here's the patience of the saints, here are they who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, patience comes through, number one, the faith of Jesus. Secondly, the, uh, that leads us to keep the commandments. And then thirdly, not, not for a works orientation to, to try to get into heaven, but through faith in Christ, his faith, as we begin to b believe and we realize the love that God has for us, that he has given us not only the faith of Jesus, but the commandments of God, that combination, starting with faith, then obedience, this is what produces patience. It's not the other way. Patience doesn't come just as a, uh, uh, something out of the, out of the sky. <laughs> it comes through the nitty-gritty of life. Have you ever prayed for patience, by the way? What, what usually happens? You have trials galore. Have you ever, increased for, have you ever uh, prayed for faith? Same thing. You'll go down a pathway that you may not like. But in that time, we learn patience. We learn the faith of Jesus. When he cried out on, on Calvary, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, you and I are going to go through that a similar experience. Not to save ourselves. Christ is our Savior. But if we do not know Jesus, we will not know how to exercise faith in him. It's getting to know him that, and we realize his, uh, his love for us. And the law of God can be summed up in one word. Love to God, that's vertical. Love to our fellow men, that's horizontal. And then there's a third aspect of this. We're told that we are to love our enemies. That's impossible. Have you ever tried to do that? If you do it on your own, you're going to get madder all the time. <laughs> but once we have the faith of Jesus and we love God supremely and our brethren as we, are, uh, as we should, then even our enemies, those who are trying to do us in, we will love them and will say, God, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. This has been the message of people going to the stake. Lay not this to their, to, uh, to their charge and ask for forgiveness. That's the attitude that you and I will have in the, in the last days. And sometimes you'll have uh, um, trying circumstances. And I, from a pastor's standpoint, um, I remember two things. Same, same man uh, was involved as a pastor of another church. He was at what they call a holiness church. And uh, a group of us would be speaking to a a group of pastors to some businessmen. And I had the fifth commandment of all things, and that man had the fourth commandment. And when he gave the, his study, he never once read the fourth commandment. But he talked about how we need to establish a law so that people could be saved. And there was a Catholic priest there and a, and a uh, 
Church of England priest. They were sitting on the opposite wall of where I was. And I think I was trying to hide. <laughs> but I heard a voice loud and clear um, when this man was talking about there needed to be a Sunday law for everyone. It should be forced upon them. And that I heard the priest first, the Catholic priest. He said, well, what about, what about the Seventh-day Adventists? <laughs> Absolute silence. And I didn't say a thing. And the, but the guy kept going on, uh, you know, and uh, so another voice was heard. That was by the Church of England preacher. But what about the Seventh-day Adventists? And so I said, I've got to do something. So I raised my hand. I said, I'm the culprit over here. And I started in on the principles of, of uh, salvation and liberty of conscience. I said, it doesn't matter what day of the, the, the week that a person is serving, if you try to use force, you're on the wrong side of history, the history of God. Now, that man did not like it at all. He did not like me. I knew that. And I'll share with you something that happened between him and me again. Um, we were going around to different pastors' homes and sharing what we believe. We were at the Methodist home this time, and uh, the pastor said, well, he said, I don't know what to talk about. He said, you know everything about Methodists. <laughs> and uh, so he said, just ask me a question. And so dumb me, I asked the question. I said, tell us, what is the second blessing that Wesley talked about? He looked, he said, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> He had no knowledge of, of the history of Methodism. And uh, so I said, well, he, they believed that, that once they had the second blessing, they never sinned again. And I said, sometimes people would fall on the floor and do different things. But I said, to Wesley's dying day, he never claimed to ever have that experience. But people in his audiences sometimes did. But this holiness man spoke up. He said, I've received the, the uh, second blessing. And I've stopped sinning. Well, <clears throat> we didn't say anything. We just listened. The next month, we were meeting at the public hospital. And, of course, we have books in there. And uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, and I'm sure there are others. Those are the only ones that I know of. And this holiness man was the head of the ministerial group in that city. And so he started in that we, had, that we as preachers ought to go through all the books in the library and call the library from anything that we don't think needs to be there. And I thought, what, what am I going to do about this one? You know? So I, I was silent. There was a little nun sitting next to me. She said, oh, we can't get rid of the Bible stories. <laughs> this, uh, uh, Arthur Maxwell had written those. And, uh, and so she went on with that for a while. And so finally I spoke up after she got through. I said, listen, uh, I know there's Jehovah's Witnesses material in here, and... Uh, Mormon literature. And I said, I'm not going to stick up for Seventh-day Adventism, but I, this none did. And so I'm going to stick up for the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness. I don't believe as they do, but they have a right to have the literature in this public hospital if the CEO allows it. He's the only one that can get rid of it. We don't need a preacher patrol to get rid of literature. And this man lost it. This man who never sinned, sinned. <laughs> the only thing he didn't do was cuss, and he may have been doing that under his breath. But there was mental shrapnel all over the place. And I started praying for him. I said, God, this man is not converted. And, uh, 
and I, I know I know he hates me. He he hates Adventism, but is there anything I can do to try to reach him, uh, open the way? Within a few days, this guy was in the hospital. There's no reason for it. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. But I believe it was a divine appointment. I went to the hospital to see him, to pray with him. And I had a little book called uh, The Problem of Human Suffering by Paul Huback, a wonderful little booklet. And so I visited with, a while, with him for a while. And then uh, I said, you know, I've got a little booklet here that might help in your suffering. I said, you don't know why, why it is, but this will give you some encouragement about what God thinks about suffering. And I said, before I, live, before I leave, would it be all right if we had a word of prayer? And he said, yeah. So I prayed for him and left. A few weeks later, he called me on the phone. He said, Jerry, I'm going to be out of town next Sunday. Would you preach for me in my church? <laughs> that happened twice. And then when we moved from that place, he came, came to see me. And he said, you know, I've never had any love for Seventh-day Adventists, especially preachers. But as you know, God has twined our hearts together. And he said, I'd like to pray for you as you're leaving. <laughs> and so we did. I've never seen him since then, but I hope to see him in heaven. Uh, and I, I hope to be there by the mercy, by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's the message that God has given to us, that even our enemies, who profess to be enemies, if we can do something for them, God will break some of their hearts, not all, there are some that some will not, will not respond at all. But we just, we keep going on and, and, uh, and, and let, God, let God do the, the rest. Well, I think probably it's about time to close. We'll do a bit of a summary as the singers are coming up. The, uh, again, the message of Revelation. In fact, I want to read, read it again. Revelation, actually, let's look at the second coming of Christ. Uh, where uh, we don't know how close we are, but it certainly appears to be that way. Chapter 14 and verse 14. This is after the three angels' message. Message is given. And uh, we have this. As John says, I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. That's to reap the righteous, those who have responded to him by faith. When Jesus comes, God's people will look up, according to Isaiah, they'll look up as they see him coming and say, this is our God who will save us. I want to be in that group, don't you? By God's grace, we shall. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you so much for what you've done for us, what you're doing in us as we give you our consent. You said even if we're willing to be made willing, you will cast down every imagination that exalts itself against you. Do that for us and in us this day and this day forward that we might look up and say, this is our God, and he will save us. Amen. Amen.